Hey, good morning, everyone. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Life groups are a place that can help you navigate the highs and the lows in life. They're a place where you can feel cared for, a place where you can be heard. And likewise, life groups are a place that you can listen to and you can care for others. If you're interested in joining, visit our website. We'll help you take the next step. We look forward to connecting with you. Welcome to worship at uh, La Jolla Community Church. Uh, thank you for that good word, Jeff Shepard, about life groups, about life in general. We're here to talk about uh, what it looks like to do life with God, uh, one day at a time. Everyday people learning to walk every day uh, with the living God. Uh, happy Father's Day to all you dads, all you grandfathers. Uh, hopefully what we say today will be an encouragement to you. Uh, being a father is a daunting task. Uh, if you look up in uh, Webster's what it means to be a father, it'll say to beget a child. And if it was only that easy, uh, then everybody who begets a child would be a father. Lots of people have begotten children. Being a father uh, is a whole magnitude of complexity and opportunity greater. Uh, also, if you look up in Webster's, uh, you'll see right before father the word fathead. Uh, I don't know why they did it that way. I guess that's just how the letters dictated it. But uh, wouldn't you know, uh, right before Father, it says fathead. Uh, what does it mean to be a fathead? Well, sometimes it means you don't know what uh, to do, and you're not uh, thinking about uh, asking questions or humbling yourself, and so you sort of fake it. Following Father, you'll see also in Webster's the word fatigue. It's really exhausting being a father, uh, especially if you're trying to fake it till you make it. And so what we try to do uh, here at La Jolla Community Church and what we're doing today in this series on learning how to fight is that we're uh, wanting to learn how to functionally embrace and apply faith, knowing that everybody is naturally a fathead and everybody is naturally prone to fatigue. But what does it mean to, as a father, understand that there's a way for us to practically embrace our relationship with the living God uh, in a way that we can apply our faith to become the father, uh, that, the, that the father of God uh, has created us to be, that God the Father has put in our heart a desire uh, to be a father after his own heart. And so uh, if you don't get anything else out of this series, uh, it's this, that we want to learn how to functionally embrace and apply our faith. And so fighting is a metaphor uh, for uh, living out our faith, not leaving out our faith. Uh, it's amazing to me, especially in this country, how many people would say, yeah, sure, I have a faith. But when you start to press a little bit, and not to judge them, but to try to understand them, you find that there's a disconnect operationally between the faith that they would genuinely, sincerely claim versus the, generally, uh, the, 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 the faith that they generally live out of. And so we want to close that gap. Uh, faith requires our persistence, specifically our persistence uh, for God. God will provide everything we need if we're persistently paying attention to him. So being a father... Uh, being a person of faith, a man or woman, a child, teenager, is a conscious decision to humble ourselves before the living God. To say, Lord, teach me how to be a human being, a man, a woman, a father, a mother, a husband, a wife. Uh, teach me your ways. 
And so we persistently say, Lord, I have lots to learn. What's the next lesson? Where do I go for help? How do, how do I get my head, my heart, my hands around this daunting task you've given me to grow up fully in my faith? And so let's start off by this. We're saved by God's grace, not by our good works. The first thing you need to understand about functionally embracing and applying faith is that it's a gift from God. We're saved by grace, not by our good works. Now, if that were the end of the story, it would set us up for a pretty passive experience with God. But rather, our good works figure significantly in our spiritual development. So when a father says, gosh, you know, I've begotten a child, we're good to go. Well, no, you just started. You're not going anywhere. You need to now lean in and bear in and focus on the task at hand. What does it look like to participate in raising this child? Uh, I used to kid that raising our kids was uh, 50-50, 50% Janet, 50% her mom. In those early days, uh, Janet's mom was, was so helpful uh, with, with our babies. Um, and we had an extended family that was incredibly supportive and loving to this day that helped shape our kids. But really, it was, it was Janet. It was me saying, Lord, show us how to be the parents you want us to be. And so our good works figure significantly in our spiritual development. We show up for duty. And so grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, as what Peter says. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We say, Lord, I want to live into every role, every responsibility, every opportunity, face every challenge and problem uh, in, in my faith in you. Through the content of your word, the wisdom, the guidance, the power of your Holy Spirit working in me, correcting me, inspiring me. Uh, comforting me, uh, confirming your work in me. And to do that, we need, em- we need to emulate godly role models. We can't do it on our own. We emulate godly role models by watching them and learning from them. Uh, and so I learned so much from other men how to be a father. Think about that. I can look, and you can look at other people who are further ahead in the faith, further ahead in their uh, age and stage in life and say, what have they learned? What are they doing that I can emulate? What can I learn from them? And so I found it was so helpful to have conversations, intentional, deliberate conversations with people about my faith. And then getting married about my marriage. What does it mean to be a husband? And then having children. What does it mean to be a good dad, an effective father? So our goal is being the best version of ourselves, not a copy of someone else, but we need someone else to become the best version of ourselves. And so persistent faith development is how we become authentically ourselves in Christ, doing the work of growing into the fullest potential of our knowledge of God and our experience of His grace. Uh, So persisting in faith means you embrace the work God is doing in you. Remember, it's by faith that we're saved, by grace that we're saved, not by works. It's God's initial initiating work that makes all the difference to give us salvation, to give us sanctification, that process of growing up in our capacity uh, to use uh, everything he's giving us uh, to uh, develop in our faith. But it's God's work initially that he draws us into. He invites us to participate in the very work of our own lives. So in a sense, in his grace, under his lordship, we take charge of our own lives. We take responsibility for ourselves. We're accountable to God, we're supported by God, but we're responsible for us. So if I'm not doing well in my life, I can't just say, well, God's apparently not doing his job. Rather, I know God is consistent in in doing his job. He is the good, good father. 
So what do I need to do to get aligned with him? And so in him, in him, and in his will, his truth, his, his will and truth revealed in Scripture, we work on our marriage, we work on our parenting, and we work on anything that matters to us. In him, you do your best work. And so in him, you address your issues, your strengths, your weaknesses. We call out Abba, Father, Daddy. And he always has his arms open to us. And because he loves us, he disciplines us. He takes us through difficult circumstances and allows us to grow in the midst of those. He allows us to take on not just big issues in ourselves. It's not just a personal, private a party that God invites us to uh, host. He calls us into this larger work he's doing in the world. The big issues uh, that, that affect all humankind. We get to participate in that by virtue of taking responsibility for our own, our own stuff and in the process of learning how to understand ourselves, uh, we then apply it to larger issues around us. And so through his grace, his truth and love, God shapes us uh, to live our best life. He wants you to be the best father you can possibly be. He wants uh, your marriage to be the best it can possibly be. We all bring deficits. We all have family of origin issues. Uh, we all have different stories. But the same God meets us in our story to write a better story in us. So uh, persisting in faith means embracing the work God is doing in you so that we can live our best life by teaching us what we are, what we need, who he is, and what it looks like to live well. It's a very dynamic process. It's not just going to church. It's not just going to a life group. It's not just reading the Bible. It's entering into worship. It's connecting with people in community. It's not just reading the Bible saying, isn't that interesting? But it's doing the Bible because our life depends on it. So as we persist in God, we learn to appreciate God's creative capacity to work in and through everyone. We see everybody as a unique, unrepeatable miracle of God's workmanship. We take everybody seriously, no matter how young or how old, uh, rich or poor. We, we don't see people as categories. We see them as people created in God's image. Yes, they bring all kinds of issues. There's all kinds of disconnects. But we see them as people in whom God has invested. And to the degree that any of us respond to him, we experience uh, that power of his transforming presence in us. And so we, we do our best work and encourage others to do theirs. We get to be part of a dynamic community that cheers each other on, loves one another, serves one another, bears one another's burdens. We comfort each other, we confront each other, we forgive each other, we instruct each other, we pray with and for each other. Think of the power of that kind of community to shape people. Allow us to have a highly functional faith that goes places and takes us where we need to go and want to go in life. So in that kind of faith, as we do our best work, encouraged by others, as we encourage others to do theirs, we're more likely to ask for help. We don't see it as humiliating anymore. We see it as a gift. Wow, I get to ask for help. Yeah, I'm wrestling with this. I'm struggling with this. Uh, I keep doing this and it's not working very well. Uh, I'm stuck here. Any thoughts, any ideas, any feedback? Wow. We can ask for help. Unashamedly, unabashedly, with great enthusiasm and openness. We can also offer help. Not as an authority. I'm here to straighten you out. But rather as a, as a fellow traveler. Uh, in this incredible gift of faith that God is giving to us. So we receive help, we offer help. 
Uh, think of it like uh, carrier upgrades for your phone. Uh, when I first got these carrier upgrades, uh, your carrier wants to upgrade your phone. I didn't know if this was a scam or what. And so I did a little, a little research and I found out that this is um, my phone carrier helping me have a better experience with my phone. This is what God is constantly doing through his Holy Spirit. As you move through life, we see scripture in fresh ways. We have deeper, uh, more interesting conversations with people. We start to see everything from the standpoint of, Lord, you're sovereign God. You're the, the epitome of love and justice, goodness, kindness, compassion. So what upgrades are you bringing into my life? Upgrades of understanding and insight, willingness to trust you, willingness to humble myself, willingness to, to, to serve others, perhaps even sacrificially, and suffer in the process. It functionally improves our experience of God. So that's the first big idea, that this whole series and this whole church exists to help us learn to functionally embrace and apply our faith. Second idea is this. Persistence is pursuing what's important despite difficulties and setbacks. Uh, we know that life is complex and life is difficult. Uh, that's, that's not news to you. That's what we all understand about life. The fact is that we get to persist in pursuing what's important despite those difficulties and setbacks. Why? Because we have the Lord in our life. We have one another in our life. We have the hope of the gospel that's practical now and practical forever. And so we can say on it, despite challenges, criticism, scoffers, or difficult odds, failure is not final. And when we do fail, we fail forward at the feet of the Lord. Lord, here I am at your feet yet again. <laughs> Lift me up. It's exhausting, it's sweaty, it's emotionally demanding, it's also deeply satisfying to persist uh, in the Lord to pursue what's important despite those difficulties and setbacks. Uh, that's why we pray. We pray for boldness, for, for creativity, uh, for, for dealing with things imaginatively, for, for finding and, and, and connecting with the resources we need. That's why we celebrate our progress in the faith. Not that we're getting better in the sense that God loves us more or we're more worthy, but because we're better understanding how much he loves us and how worthy we are because he has made us to receive his love. Powerful, powerful, powerful. So how have you practiced a persistence in your life? What does that look like in your life? Uh, tenacity, resolve, determination, stick-to-itiveness. How have you practiced persistence in your life? You can apply that to everything. When you learn how to be persistent, not annoyingly persistent, not naggingly persistent, not hectoring, or trying to control people persistent. But when you become persistent in saying, Lord, I'm here, uh, hands and eyes, and head, and heart wide open. Uh, we have tenacity, resolve, determination, stick to itiveness. What part of your life would benefit right now from that godly persistence? Godly persistence isn't just me imposing my will. That's human persistence. My way or the highway. Or get off my highway. Godly persistence is saying, it's your way. It's, it's all about you, Lord. And, and by your grace, it includes me. Uh, we all know that achieving great goals is not an accident. It's not luck. Sometimes we get lucky breaks. But as somebody said, the harder I work, the luckier I get. What we call luck is really the result of, of us having uh, aligned ourselves with our goals and our values, uh, having learned how to work, how to, how to uh, be present. And when we're present, we start to notice things, and things start to happen. We call that sometimes luck or accident. But it's really us simply showing up 
and experiencing the powerful presence of God in every and any situation. So how will I know what to look for? Well, look long enough and you'll, you'll eventually see everything. But the beauty of walking with God is we say, Lord, what am I supposed to be seeing here? Can I notice that I, I, I perhaps overlooked? Where are my blind spots? Reveal them to me through people giving me gentle but clear feedback. You're going to have blind spots and, and, um, and barriers as you try to be a father, uh, as you try to be a mom, as you try to be a spouse, as you try to be a kid. The beautiful thing uh, is that the more we pay attention, the more we see. So persistence is pursuing what's important despite difficulties and setbacks. Looking intentionally for solutions and working toward a goal. The third point in the morning is this. Uh, if the first one is that we're learning about functionally embracing uh, and, and applying our faith. The second being that we're going to overcome all kinds of barriers and face all kinds of gaps that need to be bridged. This, this third point is this. Persistence describes the gravitational pull of walking with God. This gravitational pull of walking with God. We have this approach avoidance thing with God. We want him and yet we're afraid of him. You see this when, when humankind uh, turned its back on God, rebelled against him. They're hiding. And God, is, is the picture is a metaphor, this garden. And gar God is in the garden, and he says, where are you? Well, of course he knows where they are. Why are you hiding? And they say, we're naked and ashamed. We have approach and avoidance. Uh, this is the human dilemma. But we have that gravitational pull, and that's where the grace of God meets us. This is for you. You're made for this. This is why you yearn for it. And so we persist because we're convinced that there's no better way to live or to love than to walk with God. We persist because we know that something good is on the way. I love the way Galatians 6, 9 says it. You know, uh, don't give up. Don't lose heart. There's a harvest on the way. Something good is happening. Be patient. Uh, be persistent. Uh, we see in Luke 18, uh, 1 through 8, Jesus tells a parable of, about persistent prayer. Uh, I've asked Rylan uh, Jansma, uh, who I think just, came, just finished third grade, is on his way to fourth, uh, is, is nine, uh, is just a fantastic uh, young man in every way. I've asked him to read Luke 18, 1 to 8. Let's listen. Luke 18, 1 through 8. Jesus told his disciples, a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about what people thought. There was a widow in the town that kept coming with a plea. Please grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Then the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will God not bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him every day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? Thank you, Rylan. Uh, what's the message there? Uh, God is for you, not like that judge that is hard-hearted and doesn't care about God or man. Uh, this woman has to persist in a way that, that uh, 
She's not sure she gets what she needs and deserves. And the point of the parable is that that's not the God uh, that we know and that we serve. To persist in Him is to simply respond to Him as one would be to a loving father. What God is doing in Christ, helping us know what it looks like to have a loving, caring father. And so we persist in paying attention to Him. Are you praying? Are you giving? Are you serving? Are you loving persistently? He wants to show you how. He wants to take you someplace really good as you learn to do that. Or are you feeling like it's, well, just too hard? It's not worth the effort. Honestly, don't we all feel like that sometimes? I'm not sure. Is this true? Is this just talking to an invisible friend? This situation I'm in is so difficult. I can't believe God is in it or that he would allow me to go through it. Especially when we see somebody we love suffering, hurting. Uh, We say, well, God, I don't know if I can even respect you because you're allowing them to go through that. Many people left Jesus because they found his teaching too hard. Perhaps you can identify with them. Uh, People still do that. I can't tell you, it's a heartbreak to think of how many people I've known who said, hey, I'm done with this. I'm walking away. They were were hurt and disappointed by a person. Uh, They had their heart set on something that they didn't think God uh, uh, responded to in their prayers. God didn't deliver. Uh, It turns out that a lot of times we approach life with God as a transaction. You do what I I want you to do, and maybe I'll do what you want me to do. It's a transaction. I'm a little man who at one point he said, I'm done with God. I said, well, why? He allowed my wife to get cancer. If that's the kind of God he is, I don't need him. And, and, and had a lot of conversations, and, and eventually my, my goal with him was to simply say, as gently as possible, as respectfully as possible, you know what? Uh, the love of God is with you. God himself is with you in this moment. You're going to go through this anyway. Wouldn't you want to have God in it with you? whatever reason, he's allowing you to go through this. But he's here with you. He's for you. It's hard when we're going through hard things. And so for, for many people who, hear, who are hearing Jesus speak, they said, this is too hard. Uh, John 6, verses 60 to 69, uh, part of it says, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Who can accept it? When our presupposition is that God is meant to make me happy, make life easy, destroy my horrible enemies, but lift up me, who maybe those people see as a horrible enemy. God, the genie in the lamp, I just rub it and, you know, wow, open sesame, everything is available to me. Many of his disciples said, his disciples said this. This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Now, we know about the 12 disciples, but there were dozens and hundreds of people who say, I'm a disciple of Jesus. All those massive crowds Feeding 5,000 here, 7,000 there. Can you imagine Jesus, God in the flesh? He's perfect in every way. And he still can't please everybody. And people are saying, well, you're not what I expected. Obviously, you can't be the Messiah because the Messiah would make everything perfect. And we're walking away. What leader has any hope? What father has any hope? Because it's so easy at any time for somebody to say, you're not doing the job, and I'm done with you. So Jesus says to the 12, you do not want to leave too, do you? How about you guys? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? We're utterly convinced that you are who you say you are. You have the words of eternal life. Eternity resonates in our hearts. 
The way you speak to our absolute immediate needs resonates in our hearts. The way you teach, the way you heal, the way you proclaim and teach and demonstrate God's love. Where else do you go? So he says, we have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. I hope you've come to believe and know that. I hope even right now, if you're dealing with some big doubts, big frustrations, big emotions, big feelings about what should or shouldn't be happening in your life, you're tempted to walk away. I hope you come back to that confession. I believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. And eventually you know that. Even Peter felt it was too hard and he left Jesus. At one point, at a key critical moment, he denied Christ. That last night of Jesus' life. Heartbreaking in every way. He walked away. And maybe you will too. Maybe you have. But Peter came back and so can you. Uh, it's a pretty simple message. Persist and persevere in your faith. Those are, those are complimentary words, persist and persevere. We talked about perseverance a few weeks ago. But to persist and persevere are, are two sides of the same coin. Persistence pushes us to keep going. I'm going. Perseverance paces us in the going. We'll get there. Let's go. You know. Persistence pursues the goal. This is where we're going. It might not be linear, but this is where we're going eventually. Perseverance manages the process. Well, then how should we go? Since it's not linear, we have all these diversions and other issues, how do we constantly navigate our way through that, knowing that we're persisting in that ultimate goal? Persistence never gives up on the goal. The goal is what counts. The mission is it. But perseverance never gives up on the people. Perseverance doesn't allow us to give up on us. You might say, I, I believe that you are the Holy One of God. I just can't put it together. I can't make it work. I'm done. Perseverance allows us to say, you know what? This is the whole point of a Savior. I need to be saved. I'm not perfect. I'm not complete in and of myself. Without Him, I'm incomplete. And that's why in Him, as we live out our faith, we realize without people walking with us in His name, we are incomplete. Romans, uh, Paul, writing to the Romans, uh, we see this in chapter 2, verses 6 to 8. He says this, talk about carrying forward hard teachings from Jesus. Uh, this is a hard teaching from Paul, and yet it's true. He says, God will repay each person according to what they've done. He's quoting scripture uh, from the Old Testament here. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. What does it mean to seek glory, honor, and immortality? It sounds like a big ego trip. No, glory is the best. The high, what's the highest and the best? The glory of God. What's honor? It's what's good and true. It's the Lord himself. What's immortality? It's life forever with him. So he says, to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality. Doing good, they're working out their faith in tangible ways, day by day. Under the power of God through his Holy Spirit, guided by his word, supported by his people. He says, but for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. It will not go well not a threat. You're going to pay for this if you walk away from me. No, it's saying to walk away from him is to walk away from life. What are the options? There are no options. They're all bad options. Uh, are you familiar with the term inciting incident? Have you heard that phrase, inciting incident? 
Uh, if you're a screenwriter, if you're a novelist, if you're a filmmaker, you know what an inciting incident is. It's what it sounds like. Uh, the inciting incident is a plot point. It's an event that moves the plot forward. This happened, and all of a sudden, oh my gosh, there's a problem to solve, or there's an opportunity to pursue. Every book you've ever read, every movie you've ever seen, uh, every song tries to have an inciting incident. What is the inciting incident that is happening in and around you right now? What is moving you? What's propelling you forward in your faith? It could be a big problem. It could be a big opportunity. It could be an aha moment for you that is the inciting incident. Wow, God loves me. I can go for it. It could be an oh no incident. Oh, what have I done? I, oh no. Everything is in jeopardy because of the decision I made. Uh, what would you uh, say are the inciting incidents in our nation right now? They're pretty obvious, aren't they? There's some big, obvious, inciting incidents that we need to pay attention to because they're moving, propelling the plot of our national life forward. It's those inciting incidences where all the action happens in a book. Conflicts are confronted and resolved. Opportunities are seized. Risks are taken. In that process, we need uh, authoritative and credible guides. The church is, a, is, is in Christ. The church is meant to be a guide, not a hero. We're not the hero of the story. We're guides. Your life is propelled by inciting incidences, some good, some bad. What are they? If you can name them, you can better respond to them. The biggest danger is to say, I, I, I guess this could be an inciting incident, but I'm going to ignore it. Too inconvenient, too big, too complex for me to deal with it. Lots of people are doing that at a lot of levels in a lot of things, whether it's COVID or racism, economic realities, relational realities, spiritual realities. It's so easy for us to recognize but not respond to the inciting incidences in our life. Our persistence in our faith is a result of an inciting and, 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 and exciting Incident, Jesus, God himself came into the world. That's an inciting incident that has onward, forever, implications and repercussions. And in him, we become, in turn, inciting incidences. When we show up, good things can happen. Disaster can be averted. People can be helped. Things can be set right if we are in Christ, if we're functionally embracing our faith, if we're overcoming all those barriers and setbacks and failures that stand in the way. Persistence isn't an end in itself. It's a means to an end. It's how we say, Lord, in the face of this inciting incident, in me or around me, what is my part? What is my part in the plot? You being the guide with authority and credibility, me as a protagonist in this situation, or now in another situation, me being the guide with authority and credibility, helping these protagonists uh, move ahead. In turn, you are an inciting incident. Your values and voice make a difference. What are your values? What happens when you use your voice? I'm hearing so many voices right now, and, and so many of them, I, I, look, I listen, I think, there's, what, there's no there there. It's a lot of sound and fury signifying nothing. Where are the values? And the values I'm talking about are the ones that say, that immediately links me to the living God. That value being voiced immediately connects me with God's glory, God's goodness, God's compassion. The immortal life that God has called us to. A life that starts with repentance and recognition 
that he is everything we need. He's enough for what we need. A recognition that he's given us access to him, full access to the living God. Those are the kind of people I want to see um, speaking to issues into my life, to speaking to national issues. I'm looking for people who say, uh, I want to, even if I'm not beating you over the head with what I believe about Jesus, I'm living into those values in a way that are so compelling and so transformational that they move people to greatness and goodness in ways that they never thought possible. Otherwise, we stay stuck in our, uh, in our um, uh, stories of grievance. We stay, we stay stuck defending all the reasons why we don't have to cooperate. We don't have to change our hearts or our minds. Well, we can just expect things from others and expect nothing from ourselves. Your value and your voice make a difference if it, if it is reflecting the values and the voice of God in you. For that, you must persist in God. You must persist because it's not only you that will benefit. Not only will your children, your spouse, your extended family, your friends, your employees, your colleagues, the very nation, the very world, Collectively, that critical mass of people whose voice and values align with the living God, they bring life to the world. They are the hope of the world. That's why Paul can write to the Colossians, Christ in you is the hope of glory. Last week I read 2 Timothy 4, 7-8. It says this, I have fought the good fight. Paul writing to Timothy. He's the one who said, fight the good fight of the faith. Connect it to your, your eternal identity. We saw that in chapter in, in, in 1 Timothy. Now in 2 Timothy, at the end of his life, an old man facing death, Paul says this, I have fought the good fight. Now it's past tense. It's behind me. I've done it. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. That's a word of persistence, longing. Longing, not just wistfully hoping something happens, but longing as in leaning into it and living for it and pursuing it. That's what Paul is saying he's been doing. He's been persisting for God. And now he says, it is so good, it's all worth it. So I want to flip that. I want to reframe this as a prayerful commitment to persistence on our part. I'm going to say this more slowly as a prayer. And I, and I hope I, I, I'm praying for not only me, but you as well. Lord Jesus, to whom do we turn? Lord Jesus, by your grace, I am fighting the good fight. It's only by your grace that I can fight this good fight. Lord Jesus, by your grace, I'm fighting the good fight. Lord Jesus, by your grace, I'm running the race. Lord Jesus, by your grace, I'm keeping the faith. The same faith from you that keeps me. I believe you are calling me to persist in righteousness. Rightly related to you and the people all around. But for your grace, Lord, I just couldn't do it. This righteousness which you give me daily through your Holy Spirit is what I pray for, Lord. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. The dailiness of your love and grace for me through your Holy Spirit. And not only to me, Lord, but also to all who are persisting in your grace. I have a company of people who are experiencing your grace.
transformed by it, and in turn, being used by you to transform spheres of relationship. So, Lord, for this, I praise you. For this, I thank you. For this, I glorify you. Amen. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you because he's filled with love for you. The Lord give you everything, all the desires of your heart as you persist in him, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have a wonderful uh, and blessed Happy Father's Day.
that you call.